The following words are by Unitarian Universalist religious educator Michelle Richards in her 2010 book, Tending the Flame, The Art of Unitarian Universalist Parenting. We start our children on their journey and travel with them for as long as we are able to do so. But in a real sense, parenting is a long process of letting go. From the toddler who pulls away and insists, me do, to the adolescent who struggles to separate his identity from that of his parents, our children experience an ever-increasing series of separations from us. When their wings are ready, we can only watch them go and hope that we gave them the roots to find their own way in the world. Good morning. My name is Carrie. I'm a member of this congregation and of our Religious Education Council. I have three kids in our RE programs here. Their ages are eight, six, and two. Um, during the week, the older two go to Cambridge Public Schools. The youngest is in part-time daycare. I'm an anthropologist. I work part-time doing research. I'm married to a man who is not a UU and who doesn't normally come with us to church. Um, I'm white and come from a long line of emotionally unexpressive New England Puritans. <laughs> I was raised UU. All these things and many more shape the perspectives that I'll share with you today. Today I'll be talking about community and parenting. I use Richard's words today as a starting point. They show a particular model of parenting, one in which parents and children start off bound together and where they slowly separate until at last the child is completely independent. But I'm going to try to paint a slightly bigger picture of this process, one which also shows the people and communities surrounding parent and child through this process. I'm going to ask, what could a beloved community of parenting look like? I speak today to our entire community. Some of us are currently parenting young children. Some of us have older children or grown-up children and are parenting in a different way. Some of us may be expecting children soon. Some of us do not have children. Some of us do not plan to. Some of us hope to have children in the future. Some of us may have lost a child. Some of us may be estranged from children. Some of us may be struggling with fertility or waiting on a long adoption process or have experienced miscarriage. Some of us may be parenting grandchildren or stepchildren or sharing the custody of children. All of us have a place in the community we're working to build, and I invite you to consider that we all have a role to play in a beloved community of parenting. Today, I'm going to try hard not to talk about the many different anxiety-producing parenting philosophies that there are out there. I'm not discussing attachment parenting or tiger moms or free-range parents, or helicopters, or French children's diets, or opting out, or leaning in. I absolutely, I promise you, will not bring the word mommy into any catchphrases that I use. <laughs> I don't believe that parents are in competition with one another. If you want to learn more about these topics, I highly recommend pretty much any parenting magazine or webpage that you can find. There are different ways that people become parents, different approaches people take towards parenting, and many different experiences along the way. Children are different from one another, 
from day one, and so are parents. I really believe that there are so many right answers for how to do it. But today, I invite you to consider a commonality, how everyone, everyone who is engaged in parenting, is taking part in a gradual process of letting go, of stepping back. Sometimes, it's a matter of letting go of our expectations about how things will turn out. For example, our kids may not be the people we imagined that they'd be. They may be more challenging or more amazing. They may need us to love them in a different way than we pictured. And we as parents may not end up parenting the way we had planned. But I've experienced, too, as Richard said, a long process of letting go of the children themselves. When my first child was born, I remember sitting in the bed in the hospital, holding him, looking at his tiny hands, and marveling, I get to keep this one. But I was wrong. I don't get to keep him. Not forever. When he was six months old, we held a party to celebrate his first solid food. At this party, he tasted something other than breast milk for the first time. And I made a speech to our guests about letting go. How, instead of depending only on me for nutrition, he would now start to depend on the food system of our wider society. I would have to take a step back and do a certain amount of trusting. That the food he ate was safe, that it contained what the label claimed it did, and that the things I had learned about nutrition were correct. I soon learned also that he would not eat each and everything I wanted him to. So it seemed I would have to trust him, too, to eat the things his body needed to be healthy. A few months later, he started crawling. Then he enjoyed walking while we held his hands. And one day, he let go and walked alone. A few months later, he was climbing the six-foot-tall ladders at the playground. And sometimes, despite my best efforts, he scooted away and climbed them without me underneath. Often, other parents would be nearby and help him if needed, or just stand watchful until he reached the top. I felt so grateful and tried to do the same for their kids. We don't just let our kids fly or fall on their own. Instead, for better or for worse, we step back and allow our wider communities to assume the roles we previously occupied. During this time, when my first was a baby, and especially after my second child was born two years later, I often felt so, so alone and overwhelmed. My need and desire for community was, and is, very deep. I felt that the very best thing someone could do for me in this world was to love my kids. I have a vision of a beautiful, harmonious community of parenting. In this vision, which I think I share with many, we would all love each other's children. Both parents and non-parents would recognize that raising and educating children was the vital work of ensuring our society's better future, and that it was a collective job. Our kids could trustingly approach any adult for help, knowing that they would receive a loving response. Parents wouldn't feel in competition with one another, or isolated from each other, or from society as a whole. Having children would not be seen as a liability for women or men in the workplace. We all would have good intentions towards one another and more or less agree on how to parent. We wouldn't judge or feel judged. 
but in the real world it does not always work so seamlessly. To go back to the playground. My kids were all early climbers, and I found that I'm usually willing to, take, to let them take the risks of climbing. So sometimes other parents see my tiny kids climbing and assume that I haven't noticed them and warn me, saying, your child's on the ladder. Other times other parents just cast alarmed glances at me repeatedly while hovering under my kids themselves. This makes me feel very self-conscious, as if others are thinking that I'm neglectful. When this happens, I try to stick up for my own parenting techniques and instincts, assuming the good intentions of others, trying not to feel judged, and explaining that yes, they are allowed to climb there. I often defensively explain that they take fewer risks this way, but I find myself succumbing to the pressure and moving closer after one of these conversations while kind of inwardly grumbling about it. We do not always agree. These letting go milestones happen at different times and in different ways for different families. And we have different ideas, emotions, and histories that shape how we handle them. Every time we let go, though, for better or for worse, we're not just leaving our children to flail around by themselves. Sometimes we do have to trust them to make the decisions that are right for them. But often, we also need larger society to step in. If we let them walk along a street without holding our hands, yes, we trust them not to run in front of cars. But we also trust drivers to look where they're going, not to drive on the sidewalk. If we send them to school, however much we may talk to the teachers or volunteer in the school or be familiar with the curriculum or not, at some point, we trust the schools to keep them safe and teach them correct and appropriate things. Or sometimes, even if we don't trust these things, we accept however uncomfortably, that trying to control them is a losing battle. Giving up these pieces of control is so, so hard. In kindergarten, my oldest was introduced to a relatively violent TV cartoon by a charismatic little classmate of his. At first, my son just pretended to be the characters, but then he started reading the companion books and became an authority on the complex, shifting relationships and characters of this fantasy universe, not to mention all their fighting techniques. And I discovered that I was not going to be able to prevent him from having pretend fights. The harder I resisted, the more he was fascinated by them. I realized I would have to let this one go, just a little bit. I'm still consistently clear with him about why I don't like fighting and violence. I try to be and to steer him towards nonviolent role models and talk about other ways to resolve conflicts. But I recognize that not only do I not control his interests, but that he and I are living in a larger society which has extremely conflicted ideas about violence, glorifying and fantasizing about it on the one hand and absolutely prohibiting it in many contexts on the other. And short of moving to a desert island with no broadband connection, we will both have to cope with this in our own ways. I used to feel so angry and sad about this little classmate of my son's who introduced him to the cartoon. But then, my second child learned to read, and she discovered, by herself in the very wholesome environment of our public library, a series of extremely gendered and disempowering books. She quickly became hypnotized by this series, and the harder I resisted, the more she was fascinated by them. Sound familiar? I've recently come to believe that perhaps even if my oldest never met that classmate, he would have encountered similarly troubling ideas some other way. My mom even tells a, a story about a similar experience she had while raising me. 
She was very opposed to Barbie dolls with their unrealistic body proportions and disempowered roles. She didn't let me own one, even though most of my friends at the time were all very dedicated Barbie doll owners and fans. This lasted until the day when I was maybe five or six years old, when I came home from a friend's house and she discovered that I had stolen one of my friend's dolls. That day, she made me return the doll and apologize, and then took me out and bought me one of my own. These three stories have one thing in common. My mother and I were pitting ourselves against the values of the community surrounding us while our children resisted. We stepped back from the immediate conflict in the hopes that our ideas would prevail in the long term, or at least that we might salvage enough relationship with our children to exert influence elsewhere. I see this as a fairly common theme in parenting stories. We see ourselves mostly as individuals, fighting a losing battle against outside influences, whether those come from our children's peers, the media, or even our own extended families. On the other hand, we have this image of the idyllic, harmonious community of like-minded people where we wouldn't have to fight these fights, or at least not alone. Community is such a conflicted concept in this society we live in, and I feel particularly with Unitarian Universalists. We value finding our own truths and thinking independently. This is a very individualist idea of how truth is arrived at. It also ties into the wider societal valuing of rugged, rugged individualism. We you use are so rugged and individual that we even make our own religious creeds. According to these ideas, community can be seen as oppressive and restrictive. Relying on community also carries negative connotations of dependence and even of uncritical thinking. This leaves parents who are doing a job that absolutely requires community in a bind. One way to cope is to seek out people very similar to ourselves, who have backgrounds and have made decisions similar to the ones we've made, and who will presumably share much of our parenting philosophy. This very understandable impulse to find an approximation of the idyllic, harmonious community runs the risk, however, of walling us off in homogenous, non-diverse enclaves. It also isolates children from others at different stages of life, which I believe is unfortunate for both. On the other hand, you use, in the words of our service here, strive to create the beloved community of Martin Luther King Jr.'s dream. This community arises when a critical mass of people adopt nonviolent principles and is based on agape love, the type of love that is directed towards everyone, regardless of whether they deserve it or not. To hate segregation, but love segregationists, in King's words. This vision of community does not include the idea that there would never be conflict, merely the principle that conflict would be resolved nonviolently, and that in resolving conflict, the opposing parties would have the opportunity to grow in understanding of each other. What could a beloved community of parenting look like? Could we strive towards this here? It wouldn't mean that we had to be on the same page about everything related to kids. There would be disagreement and even conflict, but the conflict would be resolved without the violence of assuming bad intentions. I also suggest that a beloved community of parenting should include people in every stage of life, not just those currently parenting young children or those who ever intend to parent, or even just those who feel generally positive feelings about young children. I adore kids. I recognize that not everyone does. 
and not a room full of emotional kinetic preschoolers, for example, or a sassy narcissistic middle schoolers, is not everybody's idea of a good time. But I think it's sometimes good for kids to realize that they're not universally adorable and appealing, <laughs> and that inviting kids into spaces that are not always kids spaces can be healthy both for kids and adults at the same time. It would have to start from a few shared assumptions, however. One of these might be that people, including children, have inherent worth and dignity. Another might be that children form an important part of the interconnected web of all existence. Could we imagine a beloved parenting community in which it feels natural to everyone, both parents and non-parents alike, to talk about our kids, not just your kids or my kids? What could we do to build a community where it feels natural for anyone to hug a tearful toddler or remind a kindergartner to say please or ask a second grader to help with the work or try to initiate a respectful listening conversation with a glum-looking 14-year-old? What could we do so that parents, when we see people doing these things with our children, don't feel judged? I believe that these changes in culture arise from changes in social structures. And as a congregation, we've taken a significant step in this direction. In our budget for next year, we've agreed that there will be childcare every Sunday starting at 9 and lasting until 2. There will also be lunch available here at church every week. I believe this will go a long way towards easing the logistical difficulties of church attendance for families, making it easier for parents of young children to participate more fully in the life of the congregation and making church a more welcoming place. We've also been working on various ways to include our youngest community members in the weekly activities of our congregation and on creating opportunities for people of different life stages to form relationships with one another. These are some of the ways that we could build a beloved community that's fully inclusive of children of all ages, parents at many different stages of parenting, and those who aren't parenting. Letting go into a sometimes hostile society is so hard. How much easier can it be when we know we are letting go in the context of a community where, even if we don't always agree, we hear in the words and deeds of the people around us, I support you, and your feelings are valid. Your children, our children, are important to me and to all of us, and we're in this together.